John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Access entry 1215.NU1317, certificate number 31997. Fritz Stomberger. Carol, my question for you is how much are those shoes and only the shoes? $35. $35, is that right? It is not. That mountain climber will move one step for every dollar that you missed the price of the shoes. Six. Nine. Ten. Oh, my. Thirteen dollars. How much are those shoes? Uh, I'm on the record as a pretty big game show fan. I love the yeah. American game show. Well, and you you made the American game show relevant to a new generation of 80-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> I, uh, I was always a huge game show nerd as a kid. I was sad that I had to start school, uh, in, in kindergarten because I was going to miss Hollywood squares oh, sure. and pyramid and Price match game. Right. Were you a Price is Right kid? Did you, did you like staying home from school sick to watch the game shows? I had a, uh, babysitter. My mom was a single mother who worked. So we went to the babysitter in the morning before school and then went there after school until mom got home. So uh, my babysitter, Alice. Like uh, uh, Brady Bunch? And she looked like Alice from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> she wore her hair up. and uh, But unlike Alice, she did not hustle bustle around the kitchen of a mid-century modern house. She had a little tract house and she sat in a chair at her kitchen table and smoked Moors or Virginia Slims and watch television all day. Was it soaps? Was it game shows? What did she watch? It was soaps and game shows. And then after school, she would turn the channel to that sort of parade of great uh, baby boomer television that, that served as entertainment for Generation X. The Munsters, yeah. Hogan's Heroes. Um, After school, old sitcoms. Yeah, right. Uh, Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island was there, and so was Leave it to Beaver. I mean, I watched all those programs because that's what they fed us in the mid-'70s. But if you stayed home from school, you got to watch the game shows. Alice would turn it to As the World Turns at a certain point in the day. Like She needed to watch her stories, and as a kid, you had to suffer through them. But loved the game shows. Uh, Price is Right is a ve- very much a 
generation, like a whole generation of Americans, not just as kids, but in college, plan their mornings around Price is Right, kind of the way General Hospital was in the late 70s. Well, Monty Hall. Uh, Let's make a deal. Was a, I mean, that whole idea of what's behind door number one was a, uh, became like a, a way of thinking. Uh, like Bob Barker in particular, the fact that he had, you know, he was the con- continually the host of The Price is Right just for decades and decades. People just couldn't imagine life without him. Same thing we're seeing now with Alex Trebek. Well, and he popularized vegetarianism. I mean, Bob Barker, or if not popularized, at least made people aware. He made people spay and neuter their pets. Yeah, he did. Before then, nobody spayed and neuter their pets, and your dog would just have sex with your cat right in front of you. Yep. And you didn't even care because you were watching Hollywood Squares. But Bob Barker brought it brought it around. But Paul Lynn was, you know, right. was a very openly gay man on television all throughout the 70s and everyone loved Paul Same Lynn. for Charles Nelson Riley on Match yep. Game. Like a lot of this, uh, it, you know, it was a real uh, kind of a queer outpost haven on right. the dial. It, we, yeah, weirdly uh, open about it too. Um, Price is Right was never my favorite show because the whole thing didn't hinge on particularly, you know, knowledge or smart play. It was just, it was just, did you know, had you watched the show enough to know that the floor wax is more than the. Yeah. Well, what it, what it was, was it was, uh, it, it gave, um, it gave a little weight to the, to like domestic knowledge, housewife knowledge, who, which, which thing is more expensive in a grocery store? Because these shows were for women. A lot of the early game shows are along those lines. What do women like? Oh, well, they spend all their time grocery shopping. So we got to have supermarket sweep. We're going to have, you know, the little, the, that awful beauty pageant show. Uh, how much is a carton of milk? How much, you know, how, how long does it take to, to vacuum the living room? These things should be just as important as the, the questions Art Fleming is asking on Jeopardy about world capitals. Right. And, uh, so I guess there's something to that, but, uh, and we saw that rear its ugly head when, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush couldn't tell you how much a gallon of milk was. That still hap- like that gotcha question will still happen to politicians who get prices wrong. I often think about that. You know, if you're in that situation, is it worse to guess high or to guess low? Right. Like there, there, it's no win. Like guessing high makes you look just as awful and out of touch as guessing low. They both just make you look evil. But Bush was like, I don't know, 40 bucks? Four? <laughs> Can you imagine the Price is Right audience being like, no, no, one dollar, one dollar, one dollar. It's a, it's, a, it's a rowdy college audience, you know, yelling at their buddies. People will go to LA, take college road trips to LA just to get on the show. They'll make elaborate custom t-shirts right. and costumes. They'll- what would, uh, oh, oh, the one where he goes into the audience and asks if you have a bottle of, of uh, like, hydrochloric acid in your purse and if you can pull it out you get a hundred dollars that seems like a big deal that just seems like it's a government agency yeah. trying to find out who's got acid in their <laughs> purse so i was not a fan of prices right but it was on every day yeah. so you know if nothing else is on but the soaps if you you got to switch to prices right at some point and you know bob had barker's beauties oh they were lovely lovely uh number turners they uh, were the they were vanna whites except uh even there were three more, of them yeah, yeah three of them and they were yeah, they had a lot of a poise. I if think, you if word. you ever watched Wheel of Fortune and your fantasy was like three Vanna Whites, then Price is Right would do that for you. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometime thirty years too late, they even had an African American one. You mm-hmm. know, like so there was a lot of a lot of diversity. There was there was you know to to add to the three blondes. Uh, the if you read more about the Barker's beauties, it's not a totally happy situation. There were multiple lawsuits. 
Diane Parkinson, one of the longer running beauties, claimed that Bob sexually harassed her. Another once sued because uh, she was fired for being overweight and sticking up for the sexually harassed one. Uh, But the longest running of the beauties was a woman named Janice Pennington, who was on the show for 28 years. Whoa. And she's a former uh, former Playboy playmate, but then kind of had t- turned into this. Uh, to me, there's nothing sexual about a game show model at all. I don't know what no. it is. Maybe because I was watching them in such a prepubescent state. But I feel like kids can get attracted to women on, or men on TV. And that never happens to me with these. Maybe because they're all holding. Uh, yeah, you would have to really fetishize floor wax <laughs> to right. to see a beautiful woman holding floor wax and think. Ooh la la. Or maybe because they stay on the show for so long, there was, by the time I was watching Price is Right, there was something kind of maternal about all these women. Yeah, 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 yeah right. I, I, well, but in that case, you're like, hey, hey, <laughs> hey. I don't know what this feeling is, but. <laughs> Come wax hey. my floor. <laughs> There's a longstanding Price is Right story about Janice Pennington. How well do you know your Price is Right pricing games, John? Uh, I think I could, I think I could put together quite a few of them, but they, you know, they, they kind of morphed, you know, there were some that were, that were eternal, but others, they, you know, they tried to keep them current. Yeah. Right? Even casual viewers will know Plinko yeah. or hole in one. Um, but you're right. They would cycle in and out a bunch of games, uh, and people watch every day and they, you know, there's just millions of Americans that are better at this game than any, than any other <laughs> strategy game or, you know, Checkers or right. any, they just can't make it down to any Burbank. other pursuit, right? If they could just get in line on Fairfax or whatever. Uh, one of the more popular ones is a game called Cliffhangers. Can you mm. picture Cliffhangers? Mm-hmm. Uh, player has to guess uh, the price of a bu- all these games are based on right. guessing the price of Kaopectate or something. The price is right, literally, uh, it's right it's in, in the, the name. name. Uh, so they're all numerical in nature, uh, and they're basically it's all one game with different. Frosting. In this case, uh, how close the contestants are to the actual price of the KOPEC date determines the, the their margin of error determines how far this little mechanical oh, Swiss figure marches sure, up a mountain. I remember that cliffhangers. And if you march the little guy too far he, by 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 being too far off, he falls. Woo. So uh, people love the. It's just the trappings of it. This kind of uh, jaunty Tyrolean music plays. And this backpacking guy, you know, yodeling music plays and he marches up the hill, hopefully just a little bit. But if somebody's, you know, too far off on the the price of the, why can't I K-O-Pectate. think of it? I mean, it's, I it's thought all, that was amazing. It's all Kaopectate. <laughs> the vitamins or whatever, then uh-huh. he's going to march dangerously close to the cliff. Ipecac solution. There's a story about... Well, the, well and it also has a kind of, uh, like, plinky... Um, like state fair quality to it, right? It's it's the like whole show. A, no, well, no, but the kind the, of <laughs> the little uh, you know the little cliffhanger guy. It feels like a thing where you're kind of squirting yeah. a, a water pistol. Yes, at it looks it like a midway game. A That's midway true, game. and it's really the only I, t- that I can think of. It's the only pricing game that has kind of a character, mm. you know, that you can who personifies the game. Uh, and as a result, this guy has gone by different names. Some hosts of Drew Carey. I think Bob Barker never called him anything, but Drew Carey now calls him. Hans hmm. or yodely guy. Uh-huh. Uh, but in the very early days of the cliffhangers game in the mid 1970s, uh, it wasn't Bob Barker. It was Dennis James who briefly hosted a nighttime syndicated version hmm. of the price is right. Uh, he uh, introduced the cliffhanger game in 19 cliffhangers game in 1976. And according to this story, 
the little cliffhanger guy marches over the edge of a cliff and Dennis James says, oh, there goes Fritz, just inventing kind of an an Alpine or Nordic name of his own invention. This is 1976. I would have sworn I was watching it already during the day by 76. There was also a daytime show. Ah. Like when the show first started, there was both a daytime show and I think a nighttime syndicated show. And Bob Barker only did the daytime show. I see, I see. And there's an even older version of the show with Bill Cullen, I think. But so it's it's, it's from a non-Bob Barker's brief stint as host, he says, there goes Fritz. There goes Fritz. And that seems like an innocent uh, comment to make, but it turned out to be tragically mistimed Uh because according to the game show legend, uh, Janice Pennington, the long-running spokesmodel or prize presenter on the show, had just lost her husband, Friedrich Fritz Stomberger, so Friedrich Stomberger, nicknamed Fritz, in a tragic mountain climbing accident. Uh Her husband, Fritz, had literally fallen off a cliff. And here is this guy saying, there goes Fritz. And according to the story, she runs off stage crying. Ouch. Now, by Janice's own account, that is not exactly what happened. But what, what, as I went down the rabbit hole trying to find out if this was true, what actually happened was even weirder. Uh, Janice Pennington was a Seattle native. Oh, hello, raised, Janice. Raised in the... Oh, now you're interested. Yeah, well, I'm telling you. You, know, you, you lo- didn't care that she was a Playboy Playmate or a 28-year no. Barker's Beauty. Local color, though. Local local girl makes good. I believe she, she went to Lakes, uh, Lake Forest Park Elementary, so she's from somewhere in the North End. Well, and it makes sense, of course, that she would marry an alpinist, <laughs> because we, uh, at the time, were an alpine-oriented community. She did not happen to... She uh, He was her second husband, and she did not happen to meet him in the area, although maybe her mountain interest comes from being a Northwest girl. She talks about going to see movies at a theater. I don't remember. Lake City Theater. Lake City Theater. Yeah. It, I guess in the 80s it became a music venue, but yeah. now now it's the Mennonite Church up there. Right, right, right. I don't right, know how right. well no, you know I, Lake City. I know it. We know it, knew it pretty well because there was a there was a candy shop, uh, like shoppy, candy shoppy and ice cream parlor in Lake City that my mom and dad called Little Old Lake City. Uh, I forget what it was called. It was called, you know. I like how they had their own weird name for a candy shop that <laughs> yeah. did not agree with the candy shop's it was name. It called for the candy Herber shop. Fords or something like that. And we continued. It was the it was the place my dad first had a banana split uh, in the nineteen early sixties. A lot we, of your old Seattle memories have banana splits in them. Oh yeah, that's good. But we continued to go to Little Old Lake City until it closed. My mom and I would go up there and have a cheeseburger and a banana split until the early two thousands, probably. But Janice left Seattle, came to L.A., became a, became a TV model, made, actually made a go of it in television, as most people don't. And in 1973, uh, in, uh, she was on vacation in Aspen after wrapping on Prices Right for the season mm-hmm. and ran into a local fixture in the Alpine, uh, sorry, in the Aspen skiing and mountaineering community, a German man named Fritz Stomberger. Fritz Stomberger. And if you look at a picture of this guy, he doesn't look like the little cute yodely cliffhangers guy see a big handsome strapping he is unbelievably handsome and strapping he looks like a 70s magazine ad for rolexes or cognac or something or aspen (laughs) or vacationing aspen and apparently he had this you know he's every part of him is square and uh, an unbelievable shade of um you know some beautiful burnt sienna color uh he is uh uh, from he's Bavarian and speaks in a, a comically thick German accent. Oh, so not Austrian? Uh, no, but Bavarian. So you know the part of Germany that's the most Austrian. Sure, I guess. 
Uh, it, no, he was from Munich. He uh, remembered from the war coming home late from school and being just in time to get to his street just as his house blew up from Allied bombing. Oh, that So will, he uh... saw his pretty much his whole neighborhood destroyed and most people he knew died, uh, according to his account. And he would have been how old at the time? Well, four or five years old, I oh, guess. Oh, wow. Uh, Traumatic experience that'll make you spend the rest of your life in fancy ski resorts. Unless he's embroidering the story. Uh, oh, I see a picture of him now. He is very handsome. The only American equivalent I can think of is Ted McGinley, uh, the 80s actor who always came aboard shows like Happy Days or Love Boat right as they were getting canceled. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, he's a little too handsome and very very Germanic handsome, right? Yeah, exactly. He's not, he, he's not like a Robert Redford handsome where you kind of go, oh, he's just sort of generally blandly handsome. Like he's very... Um, it looks like American genes could not even generate him because he's some kind of uh, awful Nietzschean perfection that we, yeah, we can't Alpen, get. Alpen, like high cheekbones. Right. He's he's some kind of a Teutonic god. Uh uh, but, you know, his Bavarian background meant that he was raised mountain climbing and he was super into it. By the age of 17, he had climbed every climbable mountain in Europe. Wow. Essentially. By 22, he was climbing in North Africa and in the Middle East and the Himalayas. Uh, These would have been early days of that kind of climbing. They were. And he had essentially, uh, apparently invented a kind of adventuring that didn't yet exist, extreme skiing. Uh, oh. He would... Uh, he was in the, by the sixties, he became the first man to climb without oxygen and then ski down an 8,000 meter peak. Fantastic. So it's like, he's almost five miles up. It's gotta be Himalayan, I think. Uh, and he would, you know, you, you know, people do this. People have skied do. down Everest, I know, I guess. And multiple people have died skiing down Everest. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing that you can, I mean, the thing about Everest, I guess, uh, is that it's not actually that hard of a climb except for the oxygen. Yeah. Right. We talked about that on the. We've done a whole show about Everest killing people in dozens of ways. But that's true. I mean, there are a lot of mountains that are that you couldn't ski down, and but there are there are quite a few you can, you could. But the, the skiing down part is what blows my mind. Uh, yeah. It. I mean, skiing is a very athletic sport, but at least for the first thousand meters you might just point them downhill and let it ride i i think you could just i think it would only count if you get to sea level you can only say oh. you've skied down everest if you ski from the if peak of everest to, ski. to the bay of bengal right, or, right. or someplace <laughs> then you have skied down everest and not before um but he was so into the you know climbing these hard to climb mountains and doing reckless things uh, that he would illegally cross borders so that he could go places he didn't have a visa for. Yeah. He did this in Tibet. He's in our man. Turkey and Vietnam. Um, and, you know, he, just insane danger. The time he the time he, uh, he skied down that 8,000-meter peak, actually, he was skiing down to get help for the two members of his expedition who, it turned out, who, who were in trouble and who ended up dying. Like, he was the only one who made it down. And he oh, was accused yeah. of, you know, endangering them with his showboating and or neglect wow because it's there ken because it's there i don't understand it john i you're a skier but that's not why you ski well the, is it for the danger the amazing thing about skiing uh downhill skiing is that you get on this chair at the bottom which seems like pretty easy to do i mean once you figure out how to get on it uh you don't have to do anything else and Ski resorts are very familiar to us and they, you know, they're groomed and there are lodges at the top and it all seems pretty domesticated, but really you're being delivered to the top of a mountain, a place that you would not otherwise have access unless you were a skilled climber 
who was willing to really put, you know, put your, um, put a lot of effort and your life on the line to climb one of these mountains in the winter. And then you're going to do something, which is the most dangerous thing to do on a mountaintop, which is to go down it aided only by gravity, right. you know, you're it's down a controlled fall on a pair of boards. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you get, you know, it's a thing that you get accustomed to and you start to think of as mundane, but every once in a while on the top of a ski mountain, when the weather is a certain way, or if you just reflect on it, you realize, Oh, this is a truly singular human experience to be up here. And the fact that there are a bunch of ankle biters running around screaming and, and ski schools and music playing, doesn't doesn't actually detract from how astonishing it is. Now imagine if you're the only one there and if you worked all day to get there. Yeah, it's a it's it is it it does ascend to the level of profundity if you're if you um you just look you set your eyes right on it. And uh so it's more than danger. It's a kind of you know, singular human experience and risk is no small part of it. Yeah, obviously that's part of the thrill. Um, but Stomberger, for whatever reason is, uh, addicted to it. You know, he's illegally sneaking into countries, uh, for in the sixties for a while, he's teaching English in Pakistan where he, you know, meets current government bigwigs. You know, he hangs out with the you know, princes and rajas and the guy who will later become general Zia, the, hmm. the dictator of Pakistan, which will come into our story. Um, but eventually he settles in Aspen where he opens a print shop. He I, founds, I think, and publishes Climbing Magazine, hmm. you know, the big the big mountaineering magazine of that set. And he's also a ski instructor. And this is also early days of like fur coat Aspen yeah, or like, hip, it's hippie Aspen. That's probably true. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of ski bums showing up and he's one of the fixtures uh, who can show you around. And he's, he's just doing extreme, extremely dangerous skiing type stunts to finance his overseas expeditions. I guess there's a nearby series of mountains called the Deadly Bells because they're unclimbable. But he realizes that at one point in the winter there's enough snow that you can actually maybe ski on these unskiable peaks. I have a Deadly Bell. It's around here somewhere. Well, yeah, where are your Deadly Bells? I mean, one of the thing about that my Deadly Bell is to not ring it is the <laughs> When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout he skis down these deadly bells with no ropes no support team and apparently it's just some kind of insane i can't as a non-skier i don't appreciate this but apparently at one point he just he falls off a 15 foot cliff there's uh there's uh pitches on the on the slope down that exceed 50 degrees <laughs> if you can imagine that yeah so you're just you're falling <laughs> yeah. more than skiing right it's it's amazing that he survives and then one day Janice Pennington of the price is right sees him coming out of a hotel 
And they are both, as beautiful blonde people must be, just immediately struck by each other. Right. And he's a he's a very magnetic personality. And, uh, you know, within just a few years, they are married. And there's some odd parts in her story. Everybody uh, loves a story where two beautiful people get married. Finally, they, yeah. they found somebody. <laughs> they found one another, the Playboy uh, model and the, and the German ski instructor. They honeymoon in communist Yugoslavia for some reason. <sighs> okay. And at one point, by her account, have run in with soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, some things about him strike her as odd and mysterious. And who knows? Maybe that's part of the allure. But it does not stop him from his dangerous habits. In 1974, he's buried by an avalanche while trying to climb Makalu, one of the most unclimbable of the Himalayan peaks. And it's only because he's in a sleeping bag and therefore is able to happens to have a little pocket of air. Oh, wow! That he's uh, you know, that he has enough air to get his wits and and dig himself out. And that hadn't occurred to me that a sleeping bag would be. Some defense against avalanche. Yeah, you should maybe always be skiing in a sleeping bag. I've I've lost a couple of friends to avalanche. Is that true? Yeah. And you do you say it like that in the singular? It's 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 not to avalanches. It's to the to the concept of avalanche, the fatal concept of avalanche. Yeah, I guess it had never occurred to me, but that's that's how I would say it. Did, were they climbers or skiers or? Uh, in one case, skier. In one case, snowboarder. My snowboarder. my sister watched a good friend of hers down in Valdez where they were doing some extreme snowboarding um, went into a crevasse and they never were able to get him out. Mindy has a college friend who essentially outran slash scrambled himself out of an avalanche. He barely kept ahead of and uh, actually had a dramatization of his, of his experience, you know, on the discovery channel or, or one of these things he had to be a talking head while some guy reenacted his near death which I always thought would be a weird experience. I have a good friend who does a lot of backcountry mountain stuff, and he'll get up there and test the snow. And if he doesn't like it, he climbs back down. And that always seems crazy to me. Like once you're up there, you test the snow and it's like, nah, it's not that great, but I'll go for it anyway. It just seems like it would be a component of being that kind of person. But he get, he makes that whole trek. And then if he, if there's a, you know, if it looks like it's going to shear, he packs it in. That's probably why your friend is still with us, yeah, honestly. Right. Um, but Stomberger does not seem to be that kind of a climber. The year after surviving his avalanche and scaring his wife half to death, he returns. He's going to climb Tirik Mir in Pakistan, the highest mountain in the Hindu Kush. Uh, the Hindu Kush are a range of mountains. Uh, it's it's kind of it's the mountains of Afghanistan, basically right. in the in the Near East. Right. They have. They have continued to vex us, and not just mountain climbers. <laughs> Remember when we thought that Osama bin Laden had, had hollowed out a whole mountain in the in Tora Bora, and he had a like a, a Batman style bat cave? Well, and all there? it was going to take was to just send a few special forces guys in there with their beards and kaftias and uh, route them out. Well, honestly, that is co- going to connect to our Price is Right story, which I'm sure you did not see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, Tirik Mir happens to be very close to the Pakistani Afghani border. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm saying Pakistani, but Afghani. You can't say Afghanistani, and you certainly are not going to say Paki. So no. So I think I may have said maybe I said it right. Afghani, yeah. Maybe that. Maybe you, you say Afghan border. It's the Afghan border, or is that something on a couch? No, an Afghan border. I think the it's not something you crochet. The Pakistan Afghan border. There we go. The Pakistan Afghan border, and it's that little strip of uh, Afghanistan whose name escapes me now. That it kind of. Uh, for some reason, separates Pakistan from from Russia and China. Oh, it's, C- can you um, picture that little tendril extending northeast? 
from Afghanistan for odd uh, cartographic reasons. Yeah, it's up by uh, Tajikistan, right? It's um, right. It's but yeah. It's, I, I said Russia, but at the time of our story, it would have been the Soviet Union. But yes, today it is not Russia. Right. It's like uh, what's it called? It's called uh, the Wakha. Right? Is that right? Yeah, the Wakha corridor. That seems, just seems like you're speaking Klingon. Well, will, hey John, will you be my Wakha in the in the challenge? Uh, Wakha. <laughs> true. True. The uh, so he's he's on the Pakistani border, but he's very close to Afghanistan and weirdly close to both the Soviet Union and China. It's a global hotspot in the mm-hmm. mid seventies, and in this case, he does not come back. Oh, Janice is worried, sick. Uh, friends head over and can find no trace of him. In a nearby village, some friends find his knapsack in a hut with some books and clothes. Uh-oh. Um, and apparently, you know, something he left behind. She's furious that they don't bring back the books, which include a biography of Lenin for some reason. John Lennon or, or no, Vladimir? Vladimir. Vladimir. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever call John Lennon Lennon? I guess not. <laughs> Who's your favorite songwriter? Oh, Lennon. <laughs> uh, Wasn't there an MTV VJ named Lennon? Uh, you're thinking of Kennedy. Oh, Kennedy. That's right. Who's your, who's your favorite statesman? Kennedy. You, you mean awful. the VJ? <laughs> she, I think we said on the show, she turned into some kind of uh, libertarian nut, yeah. right? Oh, she didn't turn into it. I always thought she was that even then. She was a game show host too. This all connects somehow. Really? Uh, I can't remember the name of that MTV game show. Deal or no deal. Yeah. For no friend, friend or not a friend. Friend or no friend. There's no way it was called friend or no friend. Friend or foe. Frenemies? That's a friend or foe is a great Adam Ant tune. Let's pretend the show is called Friend or Not a Friend. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, these friends of uh, Fritz are apparently true friends. They hire a helicopter. They scour uh, this part of the world. They can find no trace of him. Wow. You would think if they were going to spend all this effort to find him that somebody would have gone with him. <laughs> he was traveling alone. And this is where the story turns even weirder because... In the mid-90s, Janice Pennington and her second husband, Carlos de Abreu, uh, publish a trashy paperback called Husband, Lover, Spy. Rawr. About her conviction that, in fact, her husband did not die in the Pakistani mountains, but went on to live a secret double life as a CIA operative. And this book was was excerpted in Cosmo and, I think, for a while became... A pretty big hit. You, one of your one of your favorite Prices Right Beauties has written a book. If you look at the number of copies you can get on Amazon for a penny, you will see that this book must have been some kind of success in the early nineties. I would I would uh, venture that a typical CIA um, operative, let's uh, to use your term, um, is that they, the wrong term? Well, uh, asset. Asset. There we go. Uh, would. <laughs> Uh, be generally anonymous looking, right? They are they're the the men in the gray flannel, right? They're they're meant to blend, not meant to be. That's what makes Fritz so perfect, John. You'd uh. never suspect. <laughs> CIA C, deep cover CIA guys are not marrying uh, 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 former Playboy centerfolds, right? I guess. I guess. Uh, so it's it's just a bizarrely overwritten book with this kind of lush Cosmo prose about. Uh, you know, her beloved, you know, cleverly preparing the lobster as the 
as the winds of uh, of something beat against the window and people are pressing their loins mm. to each other. It's one of these. Uh, With Fabio on the cover. It's a, uh, yeah, except she's actually married to a real to a better than Fabio. Yeah. I wonder how her uh, her husband at the time felt about all this. Okay, he's a bizarre figure in the book who spends the whole book just pissed off that she is chasing the ghost of her ex husband. Uh, and hmm. in the book, he's very just angry and petulant and always storming off, but he's co-writing the book with her <laughs> as well. He's a, he's some kind of Mozambican born Portuguese oddball with some kind of entertainment marketing company. Right. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a cuck. Right? Maybe he's just like <laughs> he's really into it. <laughs> he does not appear to be enjoying being cucked by a dead man. Oh, it, right. it, at least in the book. Although best kind, best way. <laughs> necrophilia it's my other fetish is necrophilia so anyway it's you have to see this book it's an absolutely insane book for a tv spokesmodel to have written because chapters will start with sentences like finally we were able to arrange for a meeting with a counterintelligence agent Hmm. and yet she's a sitting spokesmodel on the price is right she becomes convinced that her friends expeditions are are covering this whole thing up and in the book at least fritz has always said things to her like don't ever believe it when you hear i was a russian spy just the, the kind of normal normal thing you tell your normal girlfriend. He just uh, he just will trot that out. He just says stuff like that while he's while he's massaging butter into the lobster with his with his sensitive yet strong hands. Now this is also the theme of Chuck Barris's uh, <laughs> right. autobiography uh, when he was on the when he hosted the Gong Show. But that was uh, either a put on or he was mentally ill. Do no. all do all game show people think they're in the CIA? No, I believe it. I believe that story is one hundred percent true. He was a CIA assassin through that whole time. You cannot tell me that MSG doesn't make your tongue swell and that Chuck <laughs> Barris wasn't a CIA assassin. You, you disdain all conspiracy theories except yes. for those two. Even though I believe 100% in science, those two <laughs> things, I think, and also ghosts. Science just has not yet reached the point of being able to prove that right. Chuck Barris was a CIA assassin. Right. When those books get opened in the fullness of time. So a lot of CIA people just recruiting from game shows. Well, like I you think, said, right? it's the ultimate undercover to be a t- in totally plain sight. <laughs> <laughs> but if you read, so the book just gets crazier and crazier from here. She she goes convinced that her friends are covering something up when they come back from looking for him. Uh, she, oh, the conspiracy theory extends to all of the people to the Aspen mountain climbing ah, community, that, which I is see. looking a little shifty. She asks to produce them to produce the knapsack they found, and they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, we we just we left it in." in Pakistan and she's very angry. Why would you not? That does seem a little weird. See, maybe you do. Maybe this is one more conspiracy you can believe in. Let me try to convince you, John. All right. That Fritz Stomberger was an asset. Uh, the first thing she does, of course, is go to see her, her, her beloved Aspen psychic, Nellie. Right. This is the, this is the mid eighties. I could have written this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nellie tells her, oh, don't worry, he's alive. He's with a slender man and uh, the dark-skinned woman who together engineered his, his, uh, his disappearance. He's with the slender man? <laughs> no. The story gets crazier. He's with a slender, <laughs> oh, space, possibly line break, I man. <laughs> <laughs> and the dark-skinned woman. I don't believe there's an internet uh, meme called dark-skinned woman. No. Uh, there's there's white that's people, a great Doors song. There's white people calling the cops on dark-skinned woman, probably, right. but that's about it. But at the time, no. And so... Uh, you know, uh, uh, encouraged by this n- note from her trusted psychic, uh, she becomes convinced that he's alive. And this is the exact time when she starts having metaphysical visitations at night. I believe it. Uh, these seem to be kind of alien encounter-like. There's a sense of passing through a series of trials, of being scanned, of floating above a space she's never been before with some kind of a, a table with a car- knife marks carved into it. Do her pillows turn into owls? 
There are no owls in the story, which I know will let you down. Yeah. But otherwise, it seems very, very UFO-like. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the picture, by the way, making the rounds of the, the adolescent barn owls where you can see their skinny little oh, legs yeah, that are yeah. not yet covered by the pin feathers? Yeah, pretty weird looking. They look like your little men. No. Uh, anyway, but in these visitations, Fritz is cowering on a cot in the corner. What does this mean? What does it mean? This is when the mysterious phone calls start from what? from made up people. At one point, somebody calls her claiming to be in her book. Again, all according to her weird book, right. claiming to be a producer on the 80s, uh, 70s, early 80s miniseries, Rich Man, Poor Man, which you right. may recall. Right, I do. With Peter Strauss, I think. Yeah. Uh, claiming to be a producer and asking her for details about uh, Fritz's disappearance. Hmm. But it turns out there's no such man and no such number. Did he uh, did he ask if her refrigerator was running? <laughs> uh, he uh, it's not a prank. Like oh. these people want to know what she knows, John. Why are you making light of this? Oh, I see what you're saying. He claimed to be the what a strange cover, <laughs> right? To, Pretending uh, to be the producer of Rich Man Poor Man, as you would do if you yeah. were in, in the intelligence nope. and community. I, I, you know, from now on, whenever I prank phone call somebody, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say, "Hi, this is Bob Strauss of uh, Rich Man Poor Man." I was on. Uh, I worked on Roots of the Next Generation. Can we talk? Yeah. <laughs> what are those other early 80s i worked on shogun uh shogun there was oh uh, uh the holocaust was a big one the thorn birds yeah the thorn birds i worked on barbara taylor bradford's a woman of substance i need to ask about what you would do for your country she so she hires a part of an investigator who says oh yeah that uh, number traces to a safe house in marina del rey we're just not sure if it's cia or fbi but they know it's a safe house. But somehow they the know. Somehow they know it's a safe house in Marina del Rey. They're just right. not sure if it's CIA or FBI. This all this all checks out. I believe that if you were going to put a safe house somewhere, Marina del Rey is a great place. <laughs> you know, I spent uh, I spent about three months walking around Marina del Rey every single day trying to figure out where the center, where Marina del Rey actually was within Marina del Rey. And I can tell you, there is no Marina Del Rey. No. It's, We're all Marina Del Rey. <laughs> Don't you think you'd have to be on a boat to be That's Marina exactly Del Rey? Right. You, if, the you, center of Marina Del Rey is off, offshore yeah, somewhere. If you came in on a boat and were parked somewhere, I think you could, you could approximate it. But there's no there there. Uh, there is absolutely not. But this is what her PIs tell her. Um, where the phone calls are coming from hmm. the story. Uh, if the story is not bizarre enough for you yet, uh, she seeks help from Elvis. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully there's musician. Musician is the fun, easy and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com start it is now 1977. Elvis is in the final year of his life. Go on. She sum- he summons her to his house uh, in the book she says she encountered him first at the age of 14 where she snuck up to a, a doorman let her sneak up to his hotel room 
and he in the story he just signs an autograph and she leaves happily. That, I, that is one hundred. I'm sure believable. that's what happened. Well, no, I mean Elvis. Uh, Elvis right. famously right, but do you think that's the only thing that happened? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I mean he did have uh, he did have some very unusual ideas about uh, about uh, women folk. You know, he was a he was a moral guy, a Christian man. Priscilla was very young. Right, but also a cousin. I mean, that felt, that felt like a that felt like a, a arranged marriage. You uh, know, Elvis's true love was Anne Margaret. Everybody, Elvis's age, their true love was Anne. My Margaret, true love was Anne. My true Margaret. love is still Anne Margaret. Yeah. Uh, in this case, but they so they apparently kept in touch, right? Just knowing each other in L.A. somehow, and so he summons her to his his house in the Hollywood Hills or whatever he it's his whatever his non Graceland L.A. house is. And offers to help. He's got Washington contacts, he says, because... Well, he does. He's a secret agent for (laughs) Richard Nixon. Exactly. This is 1977. He's always calling up Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover at weird hours to say he knows how to solve the hashish problem or or whatever. Stone to the gills on whatever he could get. Um, Oh, and Margaret. There are, you know... uh, so many things in this book that I don't know if I should believe. She hears a rumor that Fritz actually enlisted in the U.S. Army at some point in the 60s, but never served. That's mysterious. Uh, You're asking how many of these you should believe. Is the, is zero an option? I think zero must be an is option. Is there any confirmation of any of these things? The end of the book is full of documents, the result of her Inf- Freedom of Information Act requests. Yeah. Uh, the oh, state, that's good. And at, at the end of the story, uh, Russian files as well, although those, those do not appear, interestingly. There's a telegram to the State Department saying a body, has, a mummified body has been found, but it's not clear whether it's him or it looks a little too short to be him, so maybe it's a mummified Polish climber. Of course, she does what you and I would do in that situation and has a seance to ask Fritz if he's dead. Sure. Did she go there to have the seance? No, she has the seance. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, and what isn't part of the process of mummification that you would be uh, shorter, like to the scale of a Polish climber? It doesn't <laughs> to Polish scale. <laughs> now, Polish sausages are larger than American sausages. Why would you think? True. Oh, but he's German. Maybe Polish sausages are shorter than German sausages. I mean, if you've ever gotten a sausage in a German gas station, you know they are longer than the bun. There are just too many jokes here. I need to move on. Um, the, her seance fails. Uh, in 1983, she meets this Carlos guy and... They are engaged, and it's full of syrupy prose about him. This Carlos guy, boy, that's that doesn't credit him very highly. Not Carlos. The, I just don't know how to say De Abreu. It's Portuguese. Uh, oh, I see. It's not, it's not Carlos the Jackal. She doesn't get engaged to an international terrorist. Well, now that I would be tuned in for. It's just some shady money guy or guy claiming to be a money guy that she meets on Rodeo Drive. And apparently he sees her and says to a friend, that is my woman, and that will be my wife. That is my woman. The first time he sees her, he uses the present tense. So that, that is my woman and will, so he's not saying that will be my wife. He's saying in addition to, to already being my woman, wow. uh, maybe this was okay to say if you're a Mediterranean man in the LA early eighties, um, but the courtship is immediately on the rocks when she hears from a friend that, uh, it's all very shady that, that, uh, Fritz is not alive, but he's alive in, in a high security prison he's not alive sorry sorry excuse me that he is not dead but he's alive in a high security prison okay in the, in right. the, that's that makes a little a more high sense. security prison where somewhere in the near east okay uh, the soviet afghanistani border sure, sure. afghanistani i'm just trying too hard now the cia every time she asks the cia they keep saying they will neither confirm nor deny well that's weird but that's also what they do she takes that to mean yes right i um, would too and the they, cia they even, just wouldn't give me a definitive answer like 
no, we've never heard of this guy. He, no. And in her account, they later send a guy to say, stop asking. Does that mean stop asking because this is annoying or is it stop asking because you're getting too close and lives are on the line. National security is being threatened. Right. This seems like a little bit of that project blue book business where they should just (laughs) say it's nothing. Right. Rather than come up with all this convoluted, uh, you know, weather balloon stuff. Just don't supply a theory. Yeah. Just say no. This is my position in any argument. Just re- keep repeating the same thing. Don't give them any. Be a, a sheet of ice that no one can cling to with a, with a rebuttal. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the governing principle of social media now was do not provide a theory? <laughs> like, I do not want to hear your theory. I do not want to hear the theory that you got through a game of telephone. My account, yeah, my, my Twitter account every day will just be like, I do not have a take on this Trump tweet. I do not have a take on the new HBO series. Zero takes. I do not have a take on the mean thing the comedian said on his Netflix special. I just I just uh, like lay the groundwork uh, a couple of days ago for my Twitter account account going into the fall where I said, it's all bad takes all the time. I'm going to just give you nothing but bad takes. So be forewarned. You've now got a very low bar to clear. Uh, you know, now that she thinks through the, some, some kind of weird mountain climber grapevine that he's not dead, but in prison, of course she goes to who you would go to in this situation. Elvis. Elvis having already died. Oh, right. Her, her, if they say, who is her second choice? It's uh, one of these. George Papar. It's one of these. Well, it's actually Ross Perot. No, it's, really? Yeah. She she winds it she runs uh, winds up with this kind of cowboy hatted Vietnam crowd these guys in the POW MIA paranoia business right who are going to tell you there's still hundreds of guys out there in the jungle and yeah he was working for Air America <laughs> exactly and it's not just in Vietnam like in fact uh, you know there were a Ameri- hundred Americans that the Bolsheviks let sit in prisons for decades and we did nothing and now the same thing is happening again. In the Near East, you know, that when the Soviets took over Afghanistan, there's there's Westerners there that, that nobody knows about. Well, you know, at the CIA, there is a board of heroes, and a lot of the heroes of the, of the spy years are unnamed. They have a star on the board commemorating their death in the field, but no, no name attached. He could be one of those. Uh, yeah, that place is real. I guess I just saw it in a Homeland episode. Yeah. But it's real. Um, yes. If it was in a Homeland episode, it has to be well, real. Well, in the Homeland episode, it blows up, which I assume is no, not real. Not real. Uh, and so in 1992, when communism falls, she, uh, and her husband is new husband is still pissed off that she's pining away over Fabio. But she's still young enough that she's got the vitality to pursue this. Yes. And she, she is determined that this is where she's going to get her answer. She flies to Moscow. Uh, it, it's yet another non-story where she waits for an audience with Yeltsin and gets nothing. Her KGB guy is able to search for the KGB files and the GRU files and the government files. And they say, no, Fritz wasn't theirs. And in the book, she's like, I knew it. He told me he wasn't a Russian spy. (laughs) Well, and this was a period where you could kind of get that kind of answer from those authorities. It's true. All the files were getting unlocked. Yeah, it was uh, all bets are off. And the third source of of uh, files was the Soviet military. And finally in her story, an ex-Soviet intelligence guy that she only calls Victor hands her a manila envelope or hands Carlos a vanilla envelope in a restroom and says, tell your wife this. Uh, is, is that a euphemism for something? Well, I don't, you know, like, <laughs> if someone, if someone tried to hand me a manila envelope in a restroom, I would say, why don't we take this out 
can we can we meet again in the lobby? What if there's no toilet paper and you're very happy that he just slid hmm. the, the manila envelope into your stall? Have you ever used a manila envelope as toilet paper? It might be better than nothing. I'm here to recommend it not. <laughs> the tab, the little tab at the top is very pointy. Well, and they're sharp edged. <laughs> uh, anyway, according to this military file, Janice was right all along. The CIA oh. recruited Fritz Stomberger in 1974 uh, because of the increasing worried about the increasing Soviet influence in Afghanistan, knowing that he was always heading off to weird places and sneaking across the border, they thought this was perfect cover. And so, when his disappearance, when he disappeared in '75, he did not die. He joined the Mujahideen, <laughs> and he started fighting with these Afghanistanistani warlords against uh, the Soviets. There, but they didn't invade until. 1980. Uh, that's right. And when they did, uh, that's when it really hit the fan for Fritz. He was thrown into a Soviet prison and died somewhere in Afghanistan uh, in the early 1980s. So for the first five to seven years of her search, according to the end of her book, the man was still, in fact, alive in a he Soviet prison. He was alive prison. and there in Afghanistan. Now, is there any independent confirmation of a blonde, Teutonic, bearded Mujahideen in <laughs> Afghanistan in the early 80s. Uh, apparently there were some... Is it Mu, it's Mujahideen or Mujahideen? It's Mujahideen. The J is first, but I don't know if I'm saying it right. Yeah. Mujahideen. Uh, well, the US, there were apparently in her, in her source as well, you know, even when the Soviets say we had no Americans, she was like, he was German. And they were like, oh, we totally had some French and Germans. Sure. Uh, Got to go. <laughs> uh, so it's not impossible that there were Westerners there, I guess. But uh, both the U.S. and Afga- the Clinton administration and the Afghanistani government both declined to help her go look for the body in the place where it is. Uh, and the book ends with kind of a bizarre epilogue in which uh, this, the book was written in 1993 right after kind of the, the first rise of Islamic worldwide jihad from these ex-Mujahideen guys, right. Osama bin Laden and friends. The first World Trade Center bombing, the, 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 the parking the one garage the one, the truck one had just happened. And so the end of the book is all about how, oh no, you know, this awful system that grabbed my, the tentacles that grabbed my husband and took him away from me, my beautiful man, have now, uh, it's all coming home to roost and this is what's next for you, America. Stuff's going to start blowing up because of the CIA intervention and the, your corrupt money of the military-industrial complex. It becomes a jihadi, an anti-jihadi it, it become, book? It becomes a warning of 9-11 Whoa. in 1993. And the last sentence is, our society is spiritually bankrupt. It's time to believe, this is a total non sequitur, it's time to believe in a higher power, God's law. Or possibly the aliens that are sure or, su- summoning her at night to Soviet prisons, or Aspen psychics, <laughs> or Elvis, whatever the higher power you believe in. Perhaps, perhaps altogether, sitting at a table controlling reality. Uh, so I'm left from this book sure that she is convinced that her s- suffering and uh, and and uh, spiritual quest was not in vain. That Fritz was actually alive for many years, and. Uh, but I'm also wondering if maybe the new guy paid off somebody in Yeltsin's government to say, look, just tell my wife that she was right, but then he died and it's sad. <laughs> you, I mean, <laughs> you think that this was that the Carlos was like, honey, come on. 
Good news. I just talked to Victor. Remember Victor, our driver? Yeah. He says that you were right. And uh, Here's you, the envelope. You're, you're all right. He said never open it, though. <laughs> He Don't, said, you're, "Do not open this. Never listen to this tape." He said, "Your your husband's last wishes were that you you carry this unopened envelope to your grave." He he says, uh, "For the, his last words were, honey, you were right about everything, and so was your seance. I'm sorry about that one fight. I was wrong about that thing I used to complain about with the dishwasher. And uh, please be only loyal to your new husband, Carlos. Now, uh, is Carlos died?" No, they are still together. Both uh, both uh, Janice and Carlos are still alive. Wow. Um, not not when you listen, futurelings. Right, presumably, I don't know if being not. a Barker's beauty or knowing Elvis confers well, immortality. All, but all in our this, era, they're still with us. All of this will be revealed in in uh, in time, right? They will they'll know what happened to Fritz. Now it's worth noting that everyone else in the mountaineering community who knows Fritz that I could find thinks that he died on. Tyric Mir it seems in 1975 it seems reasonable to think that he left his little his little camp and solo climbed and and he you know he'd managed to escape death for years but this time there was just a crevasse mountain climbing is dangerous and he fell into the ice and one day and he may have already been found right his mummified remains sure or maybe he's in a dangerous part of the world and he has a run-in with some unsavory character but it's probably Pretty much everybody in that Aspen community who knew him and loved him thinks that uh, Janice is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I see. And that, in fact, there was no spy versus spy nonsense. Right. If, he, if he'd been a library scientist and had been going around the world to libraries— Ill- illegally crossing borders to see particularly stunning libraries. And went to Afghanistan to l- to check out some books from the local library and went missing. It's a little different. But he was risking his life to climb crazy mountains yeah. all by himself. And hundreds of people die doing that a year, and hundreds of people do not die looking things up in a card catalog. Right. So, yes. So, I think, I mean, are you saying that you conclude— that there is a more reasonable explanation than that he lived until the 80s in an Afghani prison as a captured CIA agent? There's no way for us to know, but I I tend to go with the explanation that has fewer alien encounters. Uh Okay. Is there some kind of statute of limitations on CIA documents? Like, Hmm. Like the Kennedy assassination stuff just came up. What was that, the 50, 60th year? So that means Woody Harrelson's dad was finally outed <laughs> and so was Ted Cruz's dad. <laughs> right. But still we don't have a we don't have conclusive documents. But if that timeline is right, maybe in the twenty forties at some point we will actually know the truth about whether this Fabio looking MF or was uh was CIA. Well it kind of depends on what he was doing. I mean, if he was there, I think the CIA has taken a big step back from um from really celebrating all the money and guns they gave to the Islamic um, fundamentalists of Afghanistan. Yeah, so the Bar- maybe- Barker's Beauties were right about that, and yeah. the CIA was wrong. <laughs> so if you're watching Price is Right in the Future, if there's one thing we know, it's that Price is Right will be on forever. Um, every time you watch the little cliffhangers guy, just remember 9-11. And that concludes Fritz Stomberger. Entry 1215.NU1317, certificate number 31997, in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, 
and that you have not been recruited into the Central Intelligence Agency as Ken and I have. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived for this program at Omnibus Project, and you can also follow at Ken Jennings, where he offers zero hot takes, and at John Roderick, where all my hot takes are bad, uh, on Twitter. Yeah, or if you follow us both, you get exactly in the middle, lukewarm right. Takes. Actually, Ken is offering hot takes all the time. It's just that he gets eviscerated for them by Canadians. all the all the Canadians and all the normals that follow him. Whereas the only people that follow me are true and dedicated fans. Irony weirdos. I, this would be perfect deep cover for uh, for CIA assets. Is two people who have a podcast and always talk about how they're not CIA. That's right. Well, we're, who would suspect we're, us? We're a crazy like signal station, and people are receiving uh, encoded messages. And you are already wearing some kind of weird, vaguely. Southeast Asian looking Polynesian looking shirt, uh, uh, open uh, a button too far. You already look like a CIA guy who's gone native. I look like I look like the CIA guy who's had one too many Mai Tais. <laughs> you are wearing a short sleeved yellow seersucker button down shirt, and you look like the guy that's still like a company man. I'm the Mormon guy that has to like uh, handle you, <laughs> and I keep going to the dead drop, and I'm like. <sighs> He put he put dog poop in here again. <laughs> I'm the sort of Walter Matthau in uh, in Bad News Bears CIA agent who's like crushing that, beer cans. That would explain a lot of what went wrong during yeah. our lifetimes. If actually the CIA was run by Walter Matthau types, uh, you can uh, see me on Instagram where I post pictures of my dog and my food, making me I don't have a dog and I don't eat food. Uh, but uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can go uh, on Facebook and lol with uh, the Omnibus Future links there. You can go to our Reddit group at uh, reddit slash futurelings. R slash futurelings. Uh, you can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155, including evidence of whatever current conspiracy is driving you bonkers and we'll get to the bottom of it through our many contacts in the intelligence services around the world uh please also uh if you love the show and you want to support it financially uh in any amount small or large please go to patreon slash omnibus project Patreon.com slash Omnibutch Project. That's how you do it. Either way. Omnibutch Project. Uh, and uh, your uh, generous donation help, or your generous contribution, rather, helps us uh, make the show and and uh, continue to etch the show into platinum records to be preserved for all time. Those blank platinum records are not cheap or free. No. And platinum is, you know, it's openly traded on a platinum market and the price goes up and down. So here's a little, here's a little ticker tape doing the platinum market. Did you know there is a movie in which Malter Matthau plays a U.S. intelligence agent? Oh, I think he's OSS, but not CAA. He's the bad guy in charade. I'll watch it this afternoon. That was a spoiler. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope and pray it lasts long enough for the CIA to tell us the truth about uh, prices, right pricing games. In fact, we hope that the uh, civilization ending catastrophe will never come. But if the worst comes soon, this platinum record, like all the other platinum records you dug up, could be our final word to you. 
But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.